Hey, Sassanac Files Universe. Thanks for giving us your ears once again. Um, this is Rebecca. And this is Chelsea. And we're going to be talking episode 108, Both Sides Now. But before we get into that, Chelsea, do you want to share some information? Yeah, so as always, you guys can find us on all kinds of places. We're on iTunes, CastBox, Spotify, Podbean, and Google Podcasts. Again, if there's anywhere that you like to listen to podcasts that you can't find us already, please shoot us an email or reach out to us on social media. We will look into getting it on different platforms because we want to cater to you guys as much as possible. So yeah, just reach out to us and talk to us. We like to know what you guys think. And if there is anything that you want to hear us talk about, like topics, we're always looking for ideas for our little mini-sodes that we got coming up for you guys. And with that information, let's get into this episode analysis. Cool. So we start out with a little something-something different from other episodes. We're back in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. Telephone ringing. That's a heck of a way to bring you into the modern age. No kidding. Yeah. That was, I didn't even think of the telephone. I just mostly was like, oh, we're, it's automatic. We're somewhere different. They're already wearing different outfits and we can already tell we're at a police station. So yeah, like I genuinely liked that we started with Frank automatically. It just, it was good to see him again because we do get to know what's going on with him. He is a part of this story and it's almost like, <laughs> what happened to him exactly? So this is good. I thought that the idea of starting it off with a conversation between two characters that are not related to the plot in any way was a smart idea. Um, You get this conversation between these two police officers and they're talking and you're like, what the heck are they talking about? And then it pans over and you see Frank sitting at the sergeant's desk and you're like, oh, And we kind of get the story at that point. You know, it's been six weeks. Claire's been missing for six weeks at this point. And Frank is at a loss. He's like, how can she just up and disappear? There's no evidence. You guys are, are you doing your job at all? Yeah. You get the frustration and you also get the extreme grief coming off of him that he's just at a loss. He's been searching for her for six weeks and there's just nothing and to put yourself in those shoes, it's just so rough. I I feel for him. Yeah, we literally get him at a point where he's just really talking down to this cop. You're not doing your job. I need you to find my wife. It totally makes sense how he's feeling because literally one of their last conversations was, or did you have an affair? But I want you to know it's okay if you did, but did you have one? Like, he sees the Scotsman staring at her. How is he supposed to feel? And then the cops are telling him, you tell us there's this Scotsman staring at her. They're thinking affair as well. So it's like just, oh my gosh, they're poking at his heart is what's going on. It's just super sad. And they're poking at him and poking at him. He's like, of course she's with another man. And then Frank pounds the desk and stands up and says, my wife is not with another man. And every single officer in that room is staring at him, just like, whoa. And we see this a couple of times throughout the episode. 
we have seen Frank up until this point as a very calm, cool, collected individual. He's a scholar. He's soft-hearted. He's emotional. And at this point and later on in the episode, we get that he can also be a pretty dangerous dude when he wants to be. Like, he was in MI6. He was in intelligence. He was in the Army during World War II. Yes, he's calm, cool, collected. He loves his wife, but don't push his buttons. Yeah. And I thought that was an interesting side of Frank to see versus what we've seen up until this point. Yeah. And it's normal with anybody. If your wife is gone, how is he supposed to feel in the cops? It feels like the cops haven't done their job. I'm sure Mm -hmm. if he was more calm and collected, he wouldn't be saying, you guys are stupid. You don't know what you're doing. I think like if he can sit there and really think about it, they've done what they could because there is no body. I just think he was acting completely normal like anybody would. Like, I, oh, yeah. nobody wants to hear somebody had an affair like, on them. So, yeah, and I agree with you. I think that a lot of his denial is, A, he has complete trust in his wife. They had a conversation. She told him, no, I did not have an affair with anybody. And the fact that you would insinuate that is offensive. <laughs> and then yeah. she just up and disappears one day later. That's not computing with his trust in what she's telling him. So for him to just, at the drop of a hat, believe that she's having an affair, that's not realistic at all either. So, yeah, yeah, I think they did a good job of walking that tightrope with the way that this was written. Because it's not in the books. Whatever happens to Frank, that's left to our imagination in the books. So they did a really great job of bringing that to life. Yeah. And I think it was needed because... In the book, it's understandable, unless Diana decided to give us chapters from Frank's point of view. It just seems logical to give us what Frank is doing. I really love when they use the show as a device to explore other points of view and expand on the world. In Outlander, it's just Claire's point of view. You're only getting her thoughts and her reactions to things and her observations of other people. So I love that they are using the show as a device to expand on what we already know. And questions that, let's face it, a lot of us have when reading the books. We're like, what's happening with Frank during all of this, you know? And we get to see it. So it's great. Creative liberty. I mean, I think it's a cool idea. But also, do you think it kind of changed the meaning of the story a little bit? I don't think that it necessarily changes the meaning of it. I think that inherently it's going to change how you feel about the character because you can draw your own conclusions when you're reading the book and you can envision yourself what's happening, but you don't have anybody telling you this is how it went. Whereas when you're watching the show and you see how much Frank is struggling and you see how hard he looked for her and how he was denying what everybody else was telling him. She had an affair with another dude and she ran off with him, point blank. When you see all of that, it's kind of hard for you to deny that he's a good guy and he loves his wife and feel bad for him. It's so easy in the books to just go, well, we don't really know much about this Frank guy. And then here's Jamie and he's amazing. So you should just stay with him. It's a lot easier to feel conflicted in the show than it is in the books. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, I wasn't as a huge of a fan of Frank in the book. But again, we don't really know him in the first book, for sure. We only get like three chapters with him. So then, right after Frank says, my wife is not with another man, we find out that she is indeed with another man. 
just in a different way. (laughs) She's not having an affair, but she is. Sex is being had. There is an affair in place. (laughs) But not the first time. The first time it was she had to do what she needed to do. So I I don't consider it an affair. The second time. Oh, man. So they're having this picnic on top of the cliff, Claire and Jamie. And Mm -hmm. that was one of the most miserable weather days they've ever had filming. They said that between takes, the prop guys had to come in and pour the water off of the plates and reset because it was just pouring down rain and that they picked it because it had this beautiful vista and they wanted to be able to see across the highlands and then it rained the entire time and it's just a bunch of fog and just seeing the rain slap their hair into their faces you know it's just like that's just awful that was sam's birthday right that day yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so like that must have not been that fun either (laughs) Happy birthday, you get to go sit in the cold and rain on the top of a hill in Scotland. It's completely miserable, but they get an opportunity to have a really cute conversation, which is where Jamie's like, look, I know I don't have a lot of experience, but this really feels like something special between us. Is it just me or does this happen with everybody? It's cute. It really is. And Claire's like, well, it's similar, but no, you're right. This is it's different. And this is kind of when we start to get the inkling that, okay, something's going on. They have something, these two. There's more chemistry than just in the bedroom, which is something that throughout the series you find is that Jamie and Claire are literally soulmates. In the deepest sense of the word, they get each other and they have fire chemistry. I mean, for her to have actually admitted this is different was Mm -hmm. like a big deal because for like a second he was like, Oh, okay. Everybody kind of feels this feeling when they hold hands. And then she cleared the air and said like, no, it's different. And then we meet human Monroe, who we don't ever, we don't see in the rest of season one, but comes back in season two. So this is the first place that we meet him. And he has a little wedding gift, dragonfly and Amber, which also comes up later in the series. So, planting the seeds here and now, peeps. I love Monroe. He's he's so sweet. He's like, oh, he Jamie got married. Let's celebrate her. Let's drink to her before I give you the news. <laughs> Jamie literally knows everybody. They'd be crazy not to be his friend, to be honest. But we find out that Hugh Monroe has come with news. He's met this guy named Horrocks who really knows what happened the day at Fort William that Jamie was accused of murdering a red coat. Turns out there was a witness, this Horrocks guy, and he's willing to meet with them. So there's all this debate about that. What did you think about this guy from the get-go? Did you have any inkling about it? Yeah, no, I was like, kind of like Jamie, like he just, he abandoned his people, so why should I trust him, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, just kind of like how all the Scotsmen later, all all the gang that we love, you know, just were like, um, okay, we, we agree you have to meet with him, but we're going to go with you. Like, there's no way in hell you're going alone. So I right. that's kind of how I felt. One thing that I really noticed about this scene was that after... 
Hugh leaves. Jamie turns to Claire and kind of gives her the whole story. He's like, yeah, this Horrocks guy wants to meet. He says that he witnessed everything. He knows that I didn't shoot this guy, but I don't know whether I can trust him. And he's kind of already wants her opinion on things and just really trusts her opinion. And I find that sweet. I know that they were friends before they got married, but the fact that he's really just telling her everything, laying it out there and wanting her opinion almost on it is is really nice. I want to add to what you had said about Jamie's full-on trust in her. Like, he is taking this marriage thing seriously. Like, hey, we're together now. This means we talk things out. Yeah. And then there's this really gorgeous transition where Claire's wrapped her arms around Jamie. She's hugging him. And it focuses in on her ring and then transitions to the ring on Frank's finger. And we're back in the 1940s. The transitions between the 18th century and the 1940s in this episode were phenomenal. The director, Anna Forrester, did a fantastic job. It was great. Yeah, I liked that little sequence with the rings. It just, ugh. It intensifies the emotions of everything going on. And I was thinking during the 1940s scene, this first glimpse that we get of Frank, you can kind of tell that what the police officer said to him earlier is starting to get to him a little bit. He's having doubts. I mean, we're really at, he's really at his wits end. He's like, how much longer can we look for her? We've already done this, that, or the other. Even the theories that the Reverend are coming up with, he's like, these are unrealistic. This didn't happen. We're looking in the wrong direction almost beginning to give up which you can't really blame the guy for that because it's now it's been six weeks with hide nor hair of her so um and then and little roger wakefield oh, oh my, my god, god. <laughs> freaking we roger so cute. So cute. Oh. <laughs> little nipples like, oh my god <laughs> you know and he just looks up at frank And Frank just can't can't help but smile at him a little (sighs) bit, even though it's so depressing. (laughs) I can't even fucking deal with that kid. He's so cute. He's adorable. (sighs) Have you seen that meme where it shows little Roger and then Richard Rankin in the picture? I'm sorry, I don't know the kid's name. It says, we Roger, and the next picture says, we Roger. Oh my god. No, I have not seen that. It's one of my favorites. Um, Of course it is. (laughs) Back to the Reverend's theories. Like, he was really trying to get on board the train with Frank, you know? And he's like, well, this is possible. She could eat this. This whole thing about the Reverend, like, throwing this theory and that theory at Frank, it kind of gave me whiplash because then later in the episode, which, according to the timeline, is just the next day, you hear the Reverend and Mrs. Graham arguing and he's like, I'm not going to hold out false hope to the man just when he's accepting that his wife has gone off with another man. I'm like, dude, it was less than 24 hours ago that you were throwing random theories about her surviving in a cave on frogs. I didn't notice that. So that's interesting. I wonder if he didn't want Mrs. Graham to say it because that just sounds illogical. (laughs) So Frank says that he needs something a little stronger than tea and goes off to the bar where he meets this hussy 
Literally, like, there's no better word for it. She's total hussy. Yeah. You can call me Sally, but that's not my real name. And I know who, where this guy is that you're looking for, but I don't know if he's with your wife. Just make sure to bring the reward. Meet us in this dark alley at midnight. Yeah, that sounds like, like a great idea. I'm totally going to do that. It bothered me so much that there are people who are willing to actually fuck with a person like this. Mm-hmm. It's not okay. You're clearly intelligent. Go do something mm-hmm. else with that intelligence. Like, come on. It just, it really bothered me. I just, like, kind of wanted to jump in the screen and, like, deal with her. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. And clearly, <laughs> clearly Frank knows this is not a thing. He comes prepared mm-hmm. to do some damage if it doesn't shake out. And, man, Frank is not a guy you want to meet in a dark alley. Not if you're messing with him like that. Yeah, exactly. And he's not stupid. You know, he knew that the likelihood of her actually knowing something was not good. But mm-hmm. he had to he had to go just in case. And I get that, yeah. too. But um, I'm really glad that he gave him what for and didn't just get his ass handed to him. And Something that I just thought of right now is that he's really good at telling if people are bullshitting so do you think Mm -hmm. just like right away he knew just like okay i could tell just by her posture or something because like he was talking to reverend wakefield like to stay as close to the truth as possible when you're lying i think that he for sure knew that something was up i don't think he was stupid enough to think that she actually knew something when she starts out the conversation with you can call me sally but that's not my real name I'm not going to tell you what my real name is. Well, why don't you why don't you want to tell me what your real name is? Clearly you're up to no good already. And then meet me somewhere and I will tell you what you want to know. <laughs> yeah, not here with people in a dark alley. That's where I want to talk. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Frank literally almost chokes her to death, but he stops mm-hmm. himself cuz he like can see it like, "Oh shit, like this is affecting me. I am getting really bitter now because I don't Mm -hmm. know what happened to my wife and maybe she did have an affair and what am I supposed to do with that information I thought she loved me you know there's so much going on did you draw the parallel between Frank kind of having a deteriorating emotional state and drawing further and further into darkness as this goes on versus what Blackjack said and the garrison commander about He's losing himself every day that he's in Scotland. I just drew that parallel this episode. Not the parallel between Frank and DJR because I don't get why people connect them together. I'm like, okay, they're of the same blood, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to go all DJR, I guess. No, I'm not saying that. I don't think that. I just think it's interesting that that was Blackjack's story was that, well, I feel like I'm losing more and more of myself every day that I'm in Scotland. And then we kind of see that happening with Frank. I just thought that it was interesting. That is very interesting. No, I did not. (laughs) Stuff you find out on (laughs) rewatches. Yeah, like I never really paid attention before. And then I was like, oh, that kind of sounds like what Blackjack was telling Claire when Frank and the Reverend were talking about it. So yeah, I thought it was interesting. I love that the Reverend said, you know, you only took a sip of this evil other people have, like, drunk the bottle, basically. It's kind of what he said. They've, like, yep. bathed in it. So you're not a bad guy, but you should maybe move on. 
you have to realize what this is doing to you and put a stop yeah. to it. I like that the Reverend was actually honest with him. Like, sometimes it's the most obvious thing. You know, he brought up Sherlock and, like, had said it's probably the obvious thing what happened and you just need to accept it, which is sad. Yeah. So let's switch timelines a little bit and go join Jamie and Claire as they are huddled together being all cute newlyweds while Rupert is telling this weird ass story about a water horse. (laughs) I love him. He is so cool. I get that water horses are part of Scottish folklore and things. Is a water horse like is the Loch Ness monster supposedly a water horse? Is that what we're kind of talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And he's known for being a good storyteller. That's what he's known for. Like, that was in the book as well. And I just thought, this is fun just hearing the actor. I'm sorry, I'm totally, like, brain-burning his name. Is his name Grant? Grant O'Rourke. Okay, there we go. He did such a good job in this moment. I loved all of it. He's telling the story, and then there's Jamie and Claire, like, you know, touching hands, which I thought was really sweet. And Jamie tells Claire that it's going to be Christmas soon. And... She says, oh, we can hang stockings by the fire. (laughs) He goes, to dry them off, you mean? (laughs) She goes, never mind. (laughs) I know. When she said that, I was like, aw, he doesn't get it. It's cute. (laughs) I just, I loved how, like, Sam delivered that line so well. Like, he did it in such this cute and really genuine way. Like, yeah, to Mm -hmm. hang them up by the fire. Duh. So cute. And then... The horses freak Thing. out. They're, they just kind of yeah. move for a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, things are and starting to go south in a, in a hurry. <laughs> what I thought was really cool was all the men right away were just doing their thing. And then there's Rupert still telling the story as he's got his hand on the dagger, just not trying to make a sudden movement. And Claire's like, what's going on? And she's about to give it away. And he goes, no, no, no. We all know. It's okay. And Jamie gives her this dagger and I just, I loved that all the men were prepared. And then Dougal says, okay, tell her to beat it so we can, like, kick some ass. And then Jamie tells her, like, go, like, now. And I love this scene. Like, they are all just like, we're ready to kill. Let's do this. <laughs> you can just hear Dougal, like, just yelling. I'm like, oh, my God. They had to have had so much fun in this moment. I was reading an interview mm-hmm. with Grant O'Rourke. And he said it was actually pretty miserable because it was freezing cold. They were out all night. And by the time they were done with this shoot, the plane that they were shooting on was ankle deep mud. They were all exhausted. And the assistant director, the AD, he's like, all right, guys, we just want to do one more take. And he's like, we all just kind of had to just like shake it off, take a deep breath and run through it one more time. And he said at that point, it was three in the morning. It was a rough night, but it looks great, so they'll deal with it. Oh, way to kill my dream, Chelsea. Whatever. I'm sorry. Oh, they look like, <laughs> but that means they did their job very well, that yeah. it looks like they're having a great time, you know? Yeah, they did. And I will say they did look tired. Yeah, like I noticed that Stephen Walters looked tired. And then so that means Sam legit was tired when he put his head on Katrina's shoulder the way he did. Like, I'm ready for bed. (laughs) I know. He's like, can we lay down now? (laughs) I'm gonna do one of my pet peeves. 
my personal pet peeves, but I'm going to do it because I want to see, did you notice the inconsistency in that scene? You know, honestly, I was so engrossed in the moment that I did not. Jamie gives Claire his dirk before he sends her to hide behind the fallen tree. Uh-huh. And then during the entire fight, he is fighting with his sword in one hand and his dirk in the other. And then the next morning, they're looking for his dirk and he puts it back in his belt. So but no, when he, he handed her one. Hold on, he handed her yeah, one, yeah. though. Yeah, he handed so he, it to her and said, take this with you. And she dropped it whenever she was going to the tree. And they're looking for it the next morning. But then in the fight and everything, he's got his dirk with him. And when he calls to her, Claire, you can come out now. He's still holding it. Do you think he could possibly have a second? Well, I thought so. But then he like has an open space on his belt where it normally goes. And when they find it the next morning, he put it in his belt. Like, in his holder. Interesting. So, yes, I was very intrigued. I've never noticed him carrying two, so, I mean, I guess it's possible, but I've never noticed it before. One of those things you Mm-mm. can't unsee. I know, I'm going to notice it now every time I watch that episode. <laughs> you know what I thought was really cute in that moment was him going, clear, clear, like, where are you? You're adorable trying to make sure she's okay. Oh, so cute. And then the next morning, they are bright-eyed and bushy-tailed looking for Jamie's missing Dirk. And he's like, no, Claire should keep it. And she's like, it's too long and heavy for me. And Rupert essentially goes, that's what she said. (laughs) I I love him so much. I wrote that whole thing down. And one thing I noticed this round was that Rupert laughs and looks at Jamie and then turns around right away like, oh shit. Because Jamie's giving him this look. I never noticed that before. (laughs) The lassies say that to me all the time. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) I love him so much. Because that is such a guy thing to do. (laughs) Jeez Louise. Yeah, that was a great scene. So then Dougal brings up the point, well, she needs a skin do. And she's like, what's that? Which turns out it's a little itty bitty knife. It's a, it's a tiny little petite knife that would be perfect for tiny hands. And mm-hmm. guess where Ned keeps his? We're learning <laughs> all kinds of interesting things about these people. Here, I'm take my crotch keep- knife, Claire. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, if there are any guys listening, please tell me. You guys are so protective of your penis and testicles. Why um, would you keep you a knife just... there? Yeah, like, okay, <laughs> you're all like, um, no one go near it unless pleasure is about to happen. But here, I will put something sharp next to it. Is it because you have control over that tiny knife or what's going on with that? He does have a sheath over it. So I suppose that is half the answer, at least. Whatever. (laughs) We forgot to mention that Ned saved the day, basically, by shooting one of the guys. Ned is such a badass. Just cute, adorable, going, did you see how I shot them? 
I had the feeling that he got a little bit lucky with that. That, like, he really didn't know what he was doing, but he was like, ooh, somebody's going to go after Dougal, so I'm going to shoot my gun. And then he just happened to hit the guy. He was aiming for the guy, but he accidentally shoots Dougal. Oh, my God. I know. Yeah. Just as likely, let's face it. So Claire takes Ned's crotch knife. They decide to give her a little lesson in it, saying, well, every person should know how to defend themselves which I mm-hmm. totally agree with. I am in full support of this little scene that is about to happen. Jamie was very much like she should know what she's doing here. And then they bring Angus in because he's the one that knows how to do the knives. So I just thought this was pretty cool. One thing that I wondered throughout this entire thing was they all are watching and like nodding along like, yeah, that's a great thing to teach her. Yeah, that's right. Good technique, blah, blah, blah. When do they all learn how to kill somebody? At what age do you learn that? I'm curious. I I think they teach boys really young. I just think that's just kind of the stereotype, you know, boys get to learn things. But since Jamie said everyone should know how to defend themselves, I wonder if the men felt the exact same way. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, they all seem to be on board with it, except for Murta, who makes this comment. I still say poison's a better weapon for a woman. And Dougal says, has certain deficiencies in combat. (laughs) I love how proud Jamie is. Like, yeah, she's learning how to stab somebody. It was just, it was fun. And then poor Willie has to be the, like... (laughs) The butt of everybody's joke. Yeah. Jamie's also like, yeah, she's one of us now. She did it. You know, she's earned her stripes. Whenever she gives Willie that little shove and he just smiles and smacks Myrta on the back, he's like, that's my girl. (laughs) Yeah. It's seriously so cute how he is with her this episode. Just like, this is my wife. I'm going to kiss her as many times as I want and all that stuff. It's adorable. Mm -hmm. Basically, this scene is foreshadowing of something that is about to happen. Jamie and Claire go chill for a bit. Have their little rendezvous. Yup, and he blames it all on her, but Dougal knows what's up. (laughs) Oh, for sure. He's like, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah, go gather your little herbs. I'll know what you're really doing there in the bushes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, bees have stingers, so... This whole scene, Jamie is so adorable. He's like such a young guy, just living life, you know. And he's like, "Oh, now I I know why the church calls it a sacrament." (laughs) Because I feel like God when I'm inside you. (laughs) And Claire just loses it. He's like, "Are you laughing at me?" And she's like, "Oh, yes, I'm laughing at you." (laughs) It was fun. He was so cute. Sam did that so well. I know that's a cheesy line, but he really delivered that. He's the king of delivering cheesy lines and making them seem not cheesy. It's kind of a talent. Claire is obviously enjoying herself. (laughs) I tell you what, Claire enjoys herself frequently. (laughs) I don't think she ever has a bad experience with Jamie. You know why? He had a woman to teach him. That's why. (laughs) Yeah, that's probably true. (laughs) Sorry. I'm trying not to diss the men. This is just good stuff. The situation turns south pretty quickly. We hear the click of a pistol 
and Jamie's got a gun shoved in his face. Holy shit. So yeah, we start with this light, fun scene between the two of them, and then at the snap of the fingers, it's just complete 180. Oh shit, what's happening? A click of a gun, <laughs> to be exact. Yeah. <laughs> to be exact. Not that we're making this funny, because it's definitely not a funny situation. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's not. Poor Claire. She's having a good time. And then these two men show up and she's trying to cover herself right away. And they take him away. Jamie, during this whole encounter, I feel terrible for him as well, because it's like he says later, I couldn't stop him. Like there was nothing that I could do. And he feels so awful, which how could you not? And these sick bastards that are like, oh, no, I'm not going to kill him yet. I'm going to make him watch first. I know. Ugh. And I can't, I can barely talk about it. It disgusts me that much. Like, it's just, mm, Yep. Not well, like, they were joking at first, like, you should have at least let him finish. It's really, like, not good for a guy to just get, like, stopped that way. And the other one is, what a bastard. Um, And poor Claire is, like, looking at Jamie, and I think she's thinking, like, are you gonna do something for like a second and then she realizes she's got to do it because he is stuck like he can't do Mm -hmm. anything and you're right like he really carries this on his shoulders it's horrible because it's not his fault no and I know that he blames himself he's like well I should have made sure that it was safe beforehand and well you know you think you're with a group of 20 guys and The odds of you going 30 yards away to have sex with your wife in the woods, the idea that two random redcoats would come upon you and decide to violate your wife and kill you, that's just not something that ever comes into your mind when you're traveling with such a large group of people. So, yes, he blames himself, but that's just Jamie. It's not because it's his fault. It's just that he takes responsibility for everything. He does. But, like, Mm -hmm. what's really irritating about this is that the only reason why that the Redcoats are doing this is because he's a Scotsman. And Claire has that moment where she's looking at Jamie and everything gets kind of fuzzy before the Redcoats about to penetrate, which I kind of think he did in the show. It kind of looks that way. But I know, like, there's debates on that because he didn't penetrate in the book. So I could that could be open, but I feel like he did. But, like, she has to, like, compose herself so that she can do what she can do, which is what Angus taught her, how to stab a guy. It's just so sad. You don't want a rape situation mixed with your sex time with your man. I couldn't find the script for season one to see whether they changed that in the script to be uh, actual rape instead of a rape attempt. But when I was reading the making of Outlander, the director in her interview referred to it as attempted rape multiple times. So as far as I can tell, they didn't change it, but I guess it's all open to interpretation. It's a terrible situation no matter what. So irritating. What an awful moment for her to experience. Well, for Jamie to experience too, because his number one thing was saying, you have my name and you have the protection of my body if needed and this happens the next day which Mm. makes sense in the context of what she tells him later on and she's saying well I was angry but I didn't know why 
and she kind of snaps at Jamie and she's like, you don't have to leave Willie here to defend me. I think I've made it perfectly clear that I can defend myself. Just to twist the knife even further, like he's already feeling bad about it. And then he yeah. he just kind of grits his teeth and looks away and under his breath says, well, you needn't prove it again. Come <sighs> on, Claire. I get yeah. you're pissed about everything, but that was, like you said, just let's just really dig it deeper. Below yeah. the belt, for sure. So then we go back to Frank, who has almost accepted the fact that he's just going to have to go back to Oxford. His wife's gone. They have no leads. They have no idea where she went. And we hear this argument between the Reverend and Mrs. Graham, where she's clearly got something to say, and he's not wanting her to say it. And there was this look they shared in an earlier scene when Frank is leaving to go to the bar. And Mrs. Graham looks at the Reverend and is like, seriously? Like, really? I had wondered when I watched that, I was like, what's that look about? And then I'm like, oh, because the Reverend already knows her theory on these things and is telling her to keep her mouth shut. And now she's saying, no, I'm not going to keep my mouth shut any longer. I know what I know. And whether it's true or not, he has a right to know that too, which draws Frank down into the kitchen. Do you think that she was right to tell him? knowing that he probably wouldn't believe her? If I kind of believed something like that, I would have probably wanted to tell him too, but I don't know. I don't think she was wrong. Because I'm just watching the show and I'm like, it did happen, so she should tell him. (laughs) But also I understand the Reverend's point of view. Like, this is kind of a weird thing to say to somebody and he's already off kilter. (laughs) The last thing you need to be doing is telling him something like this. I think the Reverend is just trying to protect Frank. And she's like, we should tell him because it's true. I don't think she was wrong. I never really thought about it, to be honest. I just think it's ironic that the one theory that's actually correct is the one that nobody believes. It completely (laughs) goes against what the Reverend was saying about Sherlock Holmes. Well, if you've eliminated the impossible, then whatever's left, however improbable, is the truth. Well, it depends on what your definition of impossible is. And she's trying to say, like, did you hear me? Did you hear what I said to Frank? And he goes, I did hear you. I simply do not share your beliefs. So he just left it at that, which he handled that pretty well. I feel like a lot of us, including myself, could probably say it that way. Right. (laughs) And then move on. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Frank is... Very good at putting things into words that most people would have a hard time putting into words. Yeah. I think Frank Frank and Jamie both share that commonality. They're both very good with words. In all seriousness, they're both very sweet, too. And they're both yeah. progressive in how they think. At least yeah. show version of Frank is progressive in his thoughts. Book version of Frank, not so much. Yeah, like, he was a... Very much a turnoff to me in book one. I was like, this is Frank? What the fuck happened? Just wait till book three. (laughs) He'll really throw you for a loop. Yeah, I've heard that. So I'm genuinely curious (laughs) if I'm going to be that upset with him. And and then it'll just be horrible. And I'm going to go through this whole grieving process because Tobias (laughs) is so amazing. You just have to be able to separate the two. Like, I fully accepted the fact that I like Frank within the bounds of the show. Within the parameters of the books, not so much. But see, here's the deal. I have to actually go through a mourning process 
Like I need to wear black, all this stuff. We'll see what happens. It could be other things that make me like, like breathe this intensely. We'll see. You're ridiculous. Oh my God. <laughs> you, know, you know those big poofy black dresses with those tiny hats and then, you know, the like, I don't know, lace thing over the face. Oh my God. <laughs> Here's the point in the episode where we really start to kind of get the momentum going a little bit. So we've had each timeline, Frank and Claire and Jamie's, there's this back and forth and we're building up to something, but we don't really know what it is. Well, Mm -hmm. Frank decides to go back to Oxford. Claire, on the other hand, has been left with Willie and discovers that she is, in fact, very, very near to Craig Nadoon. And she has this light bulb go on like I wasn't angry with Jamie I wasn't angry at the situation I was angry at myself for forgetting that I was trying to make my way back to Frank and that was really her aha moment and we see Frank kind of have an aha moment as well on the road he sees the sign of Craig Nadoon and comes to a pause and then he decides to throw the car in reverse and just on a whim go up there to see if there is some chance. Goodness. And it is so anxiety filled that whole moment. It really is. The motorcyclists that go by Frank when he's debating whether he should go up to Craig Nadoon or not. There's been a lot of debate about them and I hadn't ever really thought about what they symbolize. There's people that are like have these outrageous theories about oh they're time travelers or this that or the other which have all been Next by Ron Moore. He's like, I just thought it was cool and wanted to have somebody drive by in a motorcycle. <laughs> it furthers the point that not everything's as deep as we make it, guys. Sometimes they just want somebody going by on a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> so was it one person on the motorcycle or two? It was two. It was a couple, which is what got me to this. Frank looks at that couple riding by on the motorcycle and he sees how carefree he, he and Claire were six weeks ago. And that's kind of how it struck me this time. He's just longing to be that guy on that motorcycle with the girl behind him, holding on, driving through the Scottish Highlands, having a good time. He was looking at his wedding ring when they went by. So they kind of, the camera really like highlighted that part again. So, And something else that I've noticed over the past two episodes, the way that the Outlander universe is organized They shoot in blocks of filming, which means that they take two episodes at a time and they shoot them together. And this better utilizes locations that they film at and actors' time. So this particular block of episodes was episode seven, The Wedding, and episode eight, Both Sides Now. They generally have the same director for that block of episodes because they're interchanging scenes. Things aren't filmed in order. So they could film a scene from episode seven in one morning, and then in the afternoon film a scene from episode eight. So Anna Forrester directed seven and eight. And one thing that I had not noticed until I was reading an interview was that Anna likes to use the hands of the actors to illustrate a train of thought, I guess. And so keeping that in mind, I was watching these two episodes and you see this one in the wedding in that really hot scene where Jamie's standing naked and Claire's going around his body, you follow her hand all the way around. 
Mm-hmm. And in this I'm episode... I'm following you. In this episode, you see Jamie and Claire brushing hands up on top of the cliff. By the fireside, you see Claire staring at her hands with her ring. Frank's hand with his ring multiple times. So there is a lot of hands going on. And that's an artistic choice by that director. And I just thought that was super interesting. Her episodes are very defined. Like, you can tell those were her. Once you know her episodes, it's like, well, duh, she obviously directed this. Mm -hmm. I wish they had had her direct more in the later seasons, but maybe they'll bring her back for season six. Who knows? I would love that. She's fantastic. I love all of her episodes. I think Um, I like her more than Stephen Wolfenden, and he, he directed some doozies at the end of season four and season five. So, yeah, and Anna Forrester is fantastic. I kind of, I think I might like Stevens more. I think I like the coloring of his episodes. Mm. They're both really good. So Frank goes up to Craig Nadoon, and at the same time, Claire is running towards Craig Nadoon. And man, she looked a lot closer to Craig Nadoon when she first saw it than (laughs) she actually was, because she runs for a long time before she gets there. Something I noticed, too. (laughs) <laughs> I'm like, holy um, crap. And in a corset, too, no less. Like, geez, Louise. And, like, those dresses. They have so many layers upon layers. I really did yeah. love this particular dress. The blue top with the brown bottom and the white fichu across her shoulders. I love that outfit. Okay, in this moment, I tend to think she could hear Frank. And I don't think that he could hear her. What what do you think about that? I think that they could hear each other. That is my genuine opinion on it. And there was just this look that he gave where his eyes widen a little bit and he turns around. He was looking Mm -hmm. at the stone and then you hear Claire's voice coming through and his eyes widen and he looks around and he goes, Claire? And that's what makes me think that he heard her. Very faintly maybe, but that he did hear her. Yeah, like, I was thinking that, and then it went away so quickly. Maybe that's because she got pulled away. So, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite shots of this entire series, I think, is when Claire is being dragged down to the wagon with the red coats on one side, and then the camera pans across this rock, and we see Frank walking down the other side of the hill towards his car. It is all one continuous shot, and they did shoot it as one continuous shot. They had everything set up 18th century style with a wagon and stuff on one side of the rock, and they had the car parked on the other side of the rock, and they did that continuous shot. And I am in love with that. It probably makes my list of top 10 cinematic moments of Outlander. It's it's great. It was fucking amazing. I agree with you. <laughs> This is where it gets batshit, guys. (laughs) Meat and potatoes of the episode right here. Goodness sakes. Were you tense the whole time? I was on edge for those final few minutes. It's just, oh my god. Yeah, like, we all know what happens, but yeah, I was tense as well. And I was just thinking, when I get that first interaction between Blackjock and Claire, that, yes, Claire has had this entire trip to plan how she's going to act and what she's going to do when she sees Blackjack. And you can totally tell that Blackjack's kind of off his game. He's actually kind of acting a little civil, like offering her wine. My felicitations and congratulations on your marriage. 
And it's very whiplashy, not to mention the mindfuck that is seeing Frank for 90% of this episode and then seeing Blackjack for the last 10% of this episode. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so confusing because you've seen Frank and then Blackjack's not being nasty bastard Blackjack when we first get him. He's actually being a little civil, which is a complete 180 from how he was behaving the last time we saw him. I think he was legitimately playing a game too, honestly. I think he just was like, I know he was thrown off that she was there, but like, all right, let me just, because I don't like you and I know you don't like me. So I'm going to congratulate you on your wedding, quote unquote. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so he, he tries to get information out of her somewhat pleasantly like there's a hint of threat under there he's like you need to understand your position here and then she throws the ultimate mic drop the duke of sandringham and he like spits out his wine he's like how do you know that name (laughs) yep i love the flashback that we get at that point for a reminder for those that the name sounds familiar but they're not for sure where they heard it you get the flashback to Sassanac where Frank and the Reverend were talking about it. I thought that was a really good choice to put that flashback in there. Yep. Oh my God. She literally threw him off his game there. He just went, how, you're right. How do you know that name? And then he flips the switch on her and goes, you mean his wife, right? And she goes, yeah, of course. Yeah, the wife. And he goes, He's not married. I was like, shit. She really (laughs) screwed the pooch with that one. She should have just kept with the, no, I work exclusively with the Duke. If he has a wife, I've never met her. She should have just kept with her story instead of changing it halfway through because that's where she screwed herself. If she had kept with the, nope, that's my story and I'm sticking to it, he would have had no choice but to let her go. I don't know. Hindsight's twenty twenty, I suppose. Goodness. That's a scary situation. Like, once he had her, he grabs the rope, right? Like, he takes the rope out of his drawer. Like, oh, my God. (laughs) When he took the rope out of his drawer, I was like, there he is. What a dick. Like, oh, my God. When he's cutting the strings on her corset, and she's like, you're going to regret this. And he just looks her straight in the eye and says, I doubt it. I'm sorry, but Claire, that was probably one of the dumbest things you have ever said. Do you know who you're talking to? But she knows what Jamie's going to do when he finds out (laughs) what's going down also. So I feel like she knew what she was saying in that. I guess we can make the argument of that, but I feel like that was just something that word vomited out of her mouth. So he pulls her over to the desk by her hair, which dick move buddy (laughs) and throws her on the desk finds her skin do stuffed in her stocking and yeah pretty much from there on out i just had the heebie-jeebies i don't like when he starts to cut her dress that's where i was completely uncomfortable and creeped out just from that moment Mm -hmm. on oh for sure yeah oh god But when he put that knife to her nipple, I was like, yeah, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Yep. When he, like, throws her dress up, I was, like, mildly panicking. He just lifts her dress, like, no big deal. And I really thought he was going to rape her. 
And then the shutters get thrown open and we hear, I'll thank you oh to take God. your hands off my wife. That whole moment legit just, yeah. Yep. And BJR's like, oh, oh my God. Like, look who showed up. Fancy meeting you here. Uh, that whole moment, Jamie just shows up at the window. I remember when I saw that, I went, oh, good choice, Ron Moore. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. F you. <laughs> right, yeah. You could, like, appreciate the genius of it, but at the same time, like, you're like, damn it, that's the end? Yep, yep. <laughs> Screw you, dude. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of the episode. But, as always, we have our yummy moment our quote of the episode and our performance of the episode to go through. So do you want to go first? Yeah. So I honestly could not pick a favorite quote for the episode. I just was like, there really isn't a favorite. There are some good lines, but nothing really was like stamp of approval. You know, Um, there was just so many I could not choose. I had a favorite, and then I had an honorable mention, as always. This is going to be the format for me. Favorite and honorable (laughs) mention. (laughs) So my favorite was, my expectations of your department were low to begin with, and I can assure you that you have met those expectations at every turn. (laughs) Love me some Frank Sass, for sure. (laughs) And my honorable mention was, It's fashionable in this modern age to dismiss the idea of good and evil, but there is evil and it finds purchase in good men by giving sin the sweet taste of ecstasy. Reverend Wakefield. I love him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He is such a good dad to Roger, too. Did you have a yummy moment? I for sure did. This was a standout, let me tell you. And I know it's kind of weird because it coincides with the not-so-cool thing that happens a few seconds later, but I legitimately, man, the engines were going, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, when Claire and Jamie were having sex, just, there they were, before they got caught by the Redcoats, and just, I loved how cute it was, I loved the whole moment, and it was genuinely a turn-on. What about you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll thank you to take your hands off my wife. That is one of the sexiest things I think Jamie says in the entire series. My <laughs> drop walking away. It's true. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's an unforgettable moment. You will remember when people say that line, you will picture where he was when he said it. It's iconic. It really is. Did you have a performance of the episode? Um, duh. Uh, it's probably the same person. Totally. Yeah. Mine's Tobias. <laughs> totally. I was going to say someone else, and then I went, uh, no. It is definitely Tobias Menzies. Just, he is so damn good. He's just a treasure, and just love him in the show as awful as he can be as BJR and creepy. I just, I love him so much. It's got to be so fun for him as an actor to get to stretch his legs a little bit and play two characters that are so polar opposite of each other. Like, that's got to be a good opportunity as an actor to do that. It's not something that every actor is capable of to define themselves within the realm of the same show into two separate identifiable characters. 
Yeah, here's a question. Maybe you know or somebody in the Outlanderverse does who's listening. Did they already have it set in motion that they were going to have the exact same actor play Frank and BJR? Like, obviously, Ron Moore and everybody who read it knew they looked alike. That's the creepy part about the whole thing. But did they have it set in stone already that they were going to have just the one actor play both when they were auditioning? I don't think so. I think it was a decision that they made when they, I'm not sure if they cast Tobias first as Frank or Blackjack, but I think it was something where they realized kind of what they had in him and was like, if you're cool with doing this, we can make you play both of them. I think that was probably a conversation that was had. I don't know 100% for sure, but I'm leaning towards they didn't originally have it in their mind to have the same person play both characters. Gotcha. I'm really genuinely curious if anybody actually knows the answer to that, because I don't think they go in all the time with that kind of knowledge, like one actor playing the same character. Yeah, I mean, because in the books, they look similar, but they're not identical. Like, they could have very easily had two actors play two characters. So I imagine that was probably their game plan. And then when they found Tobias, they were like, oh, he really could do both. And a lot of times, actors will audition for one role and get another. So There's also the possibility that he auditioned for like Blackjack and then they're like, ooh, he could do a really good Frank or they'll audition for multiple roles. So that could Mm -hmm. be that he auditioned for both roles and they were like, wouldn't it be a trip if he played both? (laughs) And it has been, okay? Yeah, it's been a freaking world adventure, okay? (laughs) He is just really fucking amazing. And I love that they notice just how much of a treasure he is. Thank you, Tobias, for playing both characters so well. You're amazing. So that concludes our analysis of episode 108 called Both Sides Now. But before we close this out, we have our traditional side part of the podcast, which is the Sassmac Files Recommends. Chelsea, do you have anything for us this week? Well, let me tell (laughs) you. I have been reading the Lord John books, also by Diana Gabaldon, and they are pretty interesting. Uh, They're mystery novels about a character that we haven't met in the show yet, but we'll meet later, Lord John Gray, and he has his own little mini-series, and yes, they're not huge books like the main series, but very interesting. The inner dialogue of Lord John is just great, and always put in interesting situations that Lord John Gray. So yes, I would highly recommend them if you're wanting a little summer read, something not too heavy, but um, something to get your wheels turning as well. So yes, that's what I have to recommend this week. Y'all don't know, but I've been like messaging Chelsea a lot. Like I'm so jealous of you right now. Like I love Lord John. Um, and I love the book covers. So I love the little things Chelsea's been sending to me. Nothing spoilery, just like little stuff that have confirmed other moments we've seen in the series. So I'm very excited to get into those books when I read them. Yeah, they're so good. Uh, what about you? What have you been up to? Okay, so I have two recommendations. These are things that I've seen different times. So I don't have anything new this week. But 
One movie I would recommend that is not on Netflix anymore, which is super frustrating, is called Equilibrium. And I believe it came out in 2002. It has Christian Bale and other people you will recognize. It's one of my favorite movies. I wouldn't say top five or top ten, but it is excellent. It's got Christian Bale. It's going to be awesome. Um, And then the other thing I would recommend is one of my favorite TV shows ever. I'm going to say it's top three, and that is The Vampire Diaries, another show that Chelsea and I agree on. Um, (laughs) It's so good, guys. It's so good. It really is. And all the seasons are on Netflix, so check it out. It's definitely binge-worthy, just... Everybody did such a good job, and it has got some really good storylines in there. Definitely worth all of it. Yeah, those are my recommendations. And definitely tag us in your social media whenever you binge it, and let us know whether you are Team Damon or Team Stefan. Oh, yes. (laughs) Who are you, by the way? I love Damon, honestly. Mm -hmm. I know. I could tell you were going to be a Stefan person. (laughs) Yes, I was like Team Stefan all the way. I just, yeah, oh my God. Seriously, anybody who starts watching this, please tag us because it's such a fun discussion to have. Such a good show. It really is. All right, guys. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of The Sassanac Files. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media pages. We are on Instagram at the.sassanac.files. And we're on Facebook with just the Sassanac Files. You can also email us at thesassanacfiles at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or answers to some of our questions we have raised. In the meantime, check out some of our recommendations. And you guys have a good week. We will chat at you next time. Bye. Bye.